yeah, I have a busy July here. I could barely move after three days of being at Alts Camp, and I have uh, junior and senior high coming up. And I'm the games guy, so I have to be out in the hot sun. But anyways, it's worth it. It's a lot of work, but it's worth it. Yeah, this morning um, I'm preaching on the dark side versus the light side. It's when I met Darth Vader right there. Uh, he got up in my face when I was at Disney World and he asked me if I knew anything about stolen Death Star plans. I told him I had no idea what he was talking about. It's the only time it's maybe okay to lie when Darth Vader is looking at you. That's true. If you haven't seen the movie, I might not get these jokes, so well. It's okay. You'll get everything else coming here. Um, so what I'm looking at today is kind of uh, thematically adding to my dad's series that he's been going through the past um, couple weeks so far on living in a light. And I just kind of want to add some context of that there's this age-old cosmic battle between good and evil that's been going on for thousands and thousands of years. Just to kind of help you get a better grasp and a better context over what it means to live in the light, to be on the light side, to be on team light, team God. And most of us often, we, you know, as we go about our daily lives, we don't often realize that we are in the middle of a war that is raging. And it's been going on for a long time, that there is an enemy out there that is gunning for us, that hates us, that's coming after our very soul, that's trying to lure us to the dark side, trying to trick us into our own destruction. And, you know, the week before Young Adults Camp, um, so the week before last weekend, I had a, a crash, course, crash course on spiritual warfare. And it really was coming alive to me that there's an enemy out there, and he doesn't like me, he doesn't like you, he doesn't like the things of God, and he will do whatever he takes to shut things down. So, uh, you know, it took months and months of planning, and then all of a sudden, the week of, on the Monday, and we were supposed to begin on Friday, one of our buildings has an electrical fire and goes uh, up in smoke, and along with it, my plans also went up in smoke. <laughs> and I'm not one of those people that likes to just, you know, slap things together last minute, I had, you know, a detailed plan. I had my plan in place, and then all of a sudden, one of the buildings I'm supposed to be using is just gone, wiped out. And I watched that happen, and it was uh, the second half anyways. I wasn't there when it started, but um, and that was kind of like a traumatic thing to watch something that you've grown up with, you have lots of memories in, uh, to burn to the ground, but also a bit of a scary thing when you have a lot of plans in place and you're leading a camp and just, you know, four days away, and you just lost one of the buildings you're supposed to be using. And, you know, they're telling you, we don't know when we can get the power back on. We have to make sure everything's safe and stable and, uh, and the gas lines. And so it's like, can we even cook anything in the kitchen? Can we have the power on? Can we even have a sound system? All this, we didn't know, you know, what's going to happen. Um, and so there was just a lot of chaos that week. And then, um, then we also found out that the computer that we ordered to run, like our PowerPoint, it got lost in the mail by Purelator. And um, things, a couple things began to resolve by Wednesday. Um, but then on Thursday, I invited some people to, pray, to come up and pray. I wanted people just really to slather the camp in prayer. Uh, if you're ever going to go and do something big, you're ever stepping out, going into new territory, always get as much people as you can to pray with you. And, but anyways, when I, I bring my prayer team in, um, about two out of four of them, the second they got there, all of a sudden came down with a very crushing headache, and they started to get really, really dizzy. And I thought to myself, my goodness, like, what is going on here? And, and then, you know, on Friday, uh, it was a really cool day because, like, so many people are just all trying to come together to make sure this camp happens. And it was pretty inspirational. I felt very loved and appreciated that all these people were kind of rallying to make things happen. Um, and then, you know, the worship team gets there, and they've never played all together, and they're just meeting each other, and they just begin to practice, and all of a sudden the soundboard dies. And it's just like, well, we don't even have a soundboard right now. And so um, this is about, I think, three hours before camp is supposed to start, and we're supposed to have a service. Uh, so I had to push back the service a bit, and then we uh, sent in a call to Edmonton, and somebody had to um, drive out a new board for us. And then once they got that hooked up, the band had a little bit of time to practice, and we're able to practice. But during, during all of that, I actually had um, a bit of a strange attitude that I don't normally have because uh, I've, I've, I've had a few battles myself, and I just knew that this was a spiritual one. And so 
I had to fight it with my faith and keep my face strong. My face strong. And so as all the unbelief would start to come into my head of, oh, this isn't going to happen. This is going to be a disaster, et cetera, et cetera. I had to say that, I know I'm on the winning team. I serve the, the God that's far more powerful, that makes a way when there seems to be no way, that even makes beauty out of ashes, and there's some ashes right there. And so I'm going to believe he's going to make something beautiful out of it. And I had to do that all, all week long to just proclaim of who God is. That, you know, the Bible says to resist the devil and he's going to flee. So I'm going to resist. And so it became this big fight all week. And, and then by the time camp finally happened, and just the presence of God was incredible. And yeah, in the services were, were just, just incredible. People were encountering God. And somehow these Muslim people showed up. And which is, I did, yeah. Didn't have much of an explanation for how they got there exactly, but I was like, whatever, come in. Like, you learned about Jesus, that's cool with me. Um, but then, you know, the very last hurdle was the fact that um, it was calling for really bad weather the entire weekend. And I just knew, oh, that could really just mess things up, you know. That could, uh, you know, make everyone stay in the room and not get to meet anyone or hang out with anyone, make things really miserable. Um, really, like, the, the forecast really did say 100% chance of rain all three days, 100% chance of rain. And so on the, on the Friday evening after just a great service, you know, people were kind of hanging out and thinking, oh, man, like, looks like the weather's going to be ter- terrible tomorrow, and we have all these fun activities planned, and, you know, that just, that's just going to suck, and, it, it, you know, that's, that's, that's no good. And then a friend of mine, Jarl, he, he stands up and he says, well, let's pray about it. And, you know, he led these people in prayer, and he said, God, would you create a pocket of good weather above the camp? And we're going to believe for a, uh, you know, we're just going to believe for a miracle. And we're going to believe that the weather tomorrow is going to be great. So again, battling with faith there. And again, with the Muslim attendees, one of them stands up around that fire and he, and he looks at his phone. This is a 100% chance of rain. And he says, there is a 100% chance that you're going to be wrong. And my friend Yarrow was basically, well, challenge accepted. <laughs> so Saturday morning comes along. We have another a brilliant service. People are encountering God. And when I walked out of that building, I looked up and saw a perfect blue sky. And I knew, I knew we were about to experience a miracle. And sure enough, not a drop of rain dropped on that camp um, all afternoon. And we were able to do all of our activities. People had a blast. And what's neat is that it, it, uh, it rained like all the way around us, right, like right around the peripheries of that whole area. All got dumped on. We didn't. And anyways, then I, so when the, the Muslim fellow sees this happen, he's just beside himself. And he said, I think I, think I just witnessed a miracle. He couldn't handle it. But, but anyways, yeah, there was a weekend that was just incredible, and lives were touched. And, uh, you know, people were encountering God for the first time. And um, probably one of the funniest ones, I think a guy, I don't know if he's ever been in church in his life. He uh, just received a word in the middle of the, of the message uh, from our speaker, Travis. God can use people sometimes to speak into your life. And it just was so accurate that he was just beside himself. Um, and why I think he hasn't been in church service before is he kept talking during the church service um, while he's sitting there. And he was, just, he was just incredulous. He couldn't believe what was going on. He was like, this is speaking right to me. And he just like God just became real to him in that moment. And um, that was pretty funny. But... Uh, to me, yeah, this, this, this whole process was kind of a, a bit of an indication of what our whole lives are like. That there's this battle raging. That when you're stepping out and doing what God has called you to do, when you're trying to take new territory for God, expect a battle, expect fierce opposition. You know, I really, really learned that the devil doesn't like me. And guess what? He doesn't like you either. And I really had that, that front row seat to good versus evil kind of the, the forces of good versus evil, the dark side and the light side kind of going at it um, this last week. And then I, you know, as I thought of the, the series that we're going through here in the church and talking about living in the light, I was like, wow, this really fits. And telling my dad, hey, I, uh, well, basically as soon as uh, the camp was over, I was like, I got a message, I got a testimony, I got to preach. Um, so in light of all of this, pun intended, I want to walk through this battle between light and darkness, between good and evil. And this is more of like a, educational sermon in some respects with some inspiration, but I just want to give a lot of biblical context and kind of show you that this has been raging a long time, so you know, and also just to help you realize what the two sides are and why you want to be on Team Light. And I want to end with showing you how Team Light, uh, Team God kicks butt and takes names, hence why you want to be on their team. Um, so first I want to take a look at 
darkness. And by the way, I don't have a feature scripture verse we're going through today, but just a lot of scripture, one thing after the other, because we're kind of just flying by the whole Bible a little bit here. But anyways, we're going to the dark side a little bit. We're going to look at the bad guys. Uh, so basically, the, the origin story is that the first team members of the dark side were a group of angels that rebelled against God, and they were led um, by an angel that we now refer to as the devil or Satan. That's, those are his titles, uh, not his name. And you know, to get really the story of Satan, you have to go through all parts, little parts of the Bible and piece it together. And I actually find that very funny and purposeful in, in the Bible that he's almost like pushed off to the margins because he's, and God's the main character of the Bible. He's given a little bit of respect, but not a whole lot. And you're going to see in how he's talked about, there's a very purposeful language towards him. Um, you're also going to see lots of imagery and metaphors, analogies, um, and especially when we're talking about the spiritual realm, because that's hard to understand for us, because we only see in the physical realm. And so um, the Holy Spirit, as he's inspiring biblical writers to write stuff down, he's giving them lots of physical analogies to help them understand and help them convey um, you know, what's really going on. You also see lots of purposeful dualism, meaning that things will have two different meanings. Um, so kind of often the physical and the spiritual at the same time. And as someone that loves to write and is a bit of an artistic fellow myself, I just really love this aspect of the Bible, that you can just see that how amazing of an author God is and all the expressions he has and how artistic he is. Uh, so anyways, you're just going to see some of that. Some of this might sound a little bit weird, but we'll break it down for you. Um, so anyways, we're gonna, first we're going to go to Revelation 7. You're going to see it up on, sorry, Revelation 12. You're going to see it up on screen here, uh, verses 7 to 9. And this is a vision that John the Apostle had of heaven, showing him kind of uh, Satan's origin here. So it says, there was a war in heaven. Michael, that's the archangel, so a very high-ranking angel, and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. So again, there's the metaphor there referring to Satan as like a, like a dragon. And then the next two passages we're going to go to, these come from Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And so um, during this time, is, the nation of Israel is going through a very hard time. Some nations are invading them, very evil nations, uh, making their life miserable, harassing them. And there's these very evil kings that are kind of spitting in God's face and mocking God. And so um, these chapters initially are kind of talking about uh, these kings and their terrible character and the kind of... Um, the judgment that's about to await them, but then, then it goes on to say, this is who you're acting like, basically, and then it goes into talking about uh, Satan. And so we're just going to read that second half of both those chapters here. And basically, those kings, they were going to the dark side, following the dark, the dark side, and, and their reward is to end up in the same place that Satan is, which is hell. So Isaiah 14, 12 through 17 says, How you are fallen from heaven... O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. That means the other angels of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. Another way of thinking of that is like up high. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, which is the place of the dead, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its city, cities, who did not let his prisoners go home? That's a bit of the fate of Satan right there. One day people will look at him and say, is this really that guy, that guy that was we thought was so powerful, that was so influential that so many people followed this guy that's in the place of the dead. Is, that's him? Really? People are just going to stare at him and be like, what? That, that's him. Really? We'll go over to Ezekiel 28, 12 through 19. Again, talking about Satan here. It says, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. 
Sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed, you were an anointed guardian cherub. Cherub's an important, important word there because we know from other verses in Isaiah, these were people that, sorry, these were angels that were right around the throne room of, of heaven, uh, singing praises about who God is. And if you ever read the description of what a cherubim looks like, um, very hard to wrap your head around. It seemed to have uh, almost animal and human characteristics. But anyways, here we go. It says, I placed you, and you were on the mount, the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Talking about the throne room of heaven. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. With the multitude of your iniquities, in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries, so I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. So it's kind of talking about if he was so embarrassed, cast down from heaven, and all the angels up in heaven, uh, the ones that didn't go with him are watching, watching this, and he's embarrassed, and to this day, he's also embarrassed, and his, his end is, uh, would be, be in hell for forever. And so, Satan, he's cast out of heaven. He used to be up in heaven, he used to be a beautiful angel, one that sang the praises of God. But he got a little too... Um, too big in the head. You know, he thought, man, I'm pretty beautiful. I should be running the thing around here. I should be in charge. And then he started to tell other people, you know, hey, maybe God shouldn't be in charge. We should be in charge. You should follow me. I'm pretty good. And he just left, basically led this rebellion in heaven. And then he just, um, after that kind of didn't work so well, he decided later that I'm going to get the first humans that God's created to join me as well, to join this, this new team, the dark side. And this is in Genesis. And in, Gen in the Genesis story, in the very beginning of the Bible, he's, he's referenced as a serpent. Now, he's not like a, a talking snake. Now, there's some creative imagery at play here. And so the word that's being used to describe him is actually the Hebrew word nakash. And it has a, a neat uh, triple meaning, uh, which is also describes the devil really, really well. So as a noun, it means serpent. And as a verb, it means divining. And as an adjective, it means shining one. So put those all together. You have a divine, supernatural, shining being who's also a serpent. And that serpent aspect is like kind of the negative thing that's thrown in there because um, nobody likes snakes. <laughs> but anyway, so we go to the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve are used to there being divine beings around. They literally walked with God. And, of course, his angels would, would come in, and, and God basically holds, like, council meetings, and he has angels singing his praises. They're just used to that. And so here one comes in, and, and they kind of they, they fall for his duping, for his trick. Genesis 3 uh, is where we're going to flip to next. You're literally going all over the Bible here. Uh, Genesis 3.14. So, sorry, after he messes things up with Adam, Adam and Eve, this is what God says to the serpent. After he convinced them to follow him and trick them and dupe them. It says, then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So first off, do you see the imagery basically that is, that is in there? So you're going to crawl on your belly. So this is, again, this, this angel that's been kicked out of heaven says, you're going to be so cursed, you're going to crawl on your belly, you're going to choke on dust. This is, what, this is what God is proclaiming over Satan. And then the second part here says you're going to, there's going to be hostility between your offspring and this woman's offspring. Of course, what that means is that later, um, the offspring of, of Eve would actually be Jesus. And that's what he's talking about here. It says he will strike your head. He's literally going to step on your head. And his heel is going to crush your head. So again, when, when, when Scripture is referring to Satan, it's not, 
it's in a way that is really embarrassing him and really putting him in his place. And I find that um, quite funny in, in, in some respects. Um, and then another, another thing that's in here is it says, you know, the supposed offspring of Satan, and no, he's not having little snake babies or something like that running around. Um, what's that, what, what that is meaning is that there's going to be people that are following the path of Satan. There's going to be those following the path of God. And the people that follow the path of Satan, that follow the dark side, that are acting, acting like him, that's what it's referring to there. You know, it's, it's referring to the, the angels that followed um, and, and went with Satan, and it's referring to the, now we refer to them as demons, and it's also referring to the humans that also decide, you know what, I'm going to go on team dark side, and they're lured over to the, the dark side. It's not making God God and, to, you know, believing that they are God in their own eyes and stuff like that. And so Jesus will actually multiple times talk about people that are defying him or going against the ways of God, and, and he'll, he'll refer to them basically like Satan's offspring. Uh, one of my favorite verses is when uh, Jesus kind of goes on a bit of a tirade in Matthew 23, and he has a lot of um, very fun names for these people that are creating a lot of hurt and pain and doing a lot of evil um, to the nation of Israel. And he calls them, you snakes, you sons of vipers, how will you escape the judgment of hell? Uh, if you read that in another translation, an older one, it will say, you brood of vipers. I like to whip that out ever so often, which literally means you family of snakes. So again, he's saying, you're on that team. You're acting on that team. You're on the team of the snake, the team, team of, the, of Satan. You're on the dark side. And we have also in John 8, uh, verses 42 through 44. It says, Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I am saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and, a, and the father of lies. So what this kind of paints is that you can either be on the fa- in the family of God or you can be on, in the family of Satan. You can follow the ways of God or you can follow the ways of Satan. You can follow you know, the ways of, of God's order, or you can be on the, the team of rebellion. You can be on the team of light or the team of darkness. And speaking of light, we're going to go into this section here. And this is what we were always meant to be on. We're always meant to be on this team. And as you'll see here, this is the team with the power. So obviously, if you don't, uh, if you don't know team light, is that, that's team God. And it's the angels that suck with him. It's the people that are going to stay with God and, and be a part of his family. And then in John 8, 12, it says this. Jesus spoke to his disciples once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. See, God's, God's side, the light side, is the side of life. The side of the devil is the side of death. You cannot have life without having Jesus. Because he's the light that leads to life. He will change your life. He will illuminate your life. Here's another neat thing that happens. It says in Matthew 5.14, then Jesus would turn to his followers and say that you are the light of the world. Because when we become Christians, God puts his very spirit inside of us. And we become the light. And it's our job to combat darkness by just shining away. We bring good to a world of evil. And this is always God's plan for humanity. It's always been God's plan that his kingdom would expand. And all the powers of darkness would just be enveloped in his glorious light. Going back to the first few chapters of Genesis here, the first book of the Bible, it, it, right back to that creation story. It describes Adam and Eve in absolute paradise. That was always God's plan, always God's intention. That we would live in paradise, literally like heaven on earth. And that was God's home on earth. It's where he walked around, where he hung out. It's always been God's desire as a family man to be around his children, to be around his people. And, and in Eden, God would have had like his, his throne room there as well. And he would have ran his kingly affairs out of there. And just the glory of God that would have been in that place would have just been incredible. And Eden's, oft, uh, you know, we often think of Eden as a garden, but um, the way it's kind of described is actually more so as a lush garden mountain. 
I think it's because I grew up in the prairies. I just think garden. I just think perfectly flat. Um, but scripture actually more so points that it's like a garden mountain. Because uh, Genesis 2 will describe that there's rivers literally flowing out of it. Um, a river that flows out and then branches into four other rivers. Um, this is very basic science here, but rivers flow down, downward gravity. So it have to originate from up high and go down. Plus, uh, actually, the verses we just read from Ezekiel 28 and, and Isaiah 14, I don't know if you noticed, but it kept talking about Eden and then also a mountain at the same time, the mountain of God. Now, here's something really unique, is that there's a lot of purposeful symbolism in this. That uh, God's up on this mountain, and God will use mountains continually scripturally. And again, a lot of symbolism, a lot of analogies, a lot of artistic creativeness in this. And I think, to me, what these mountains would represent is you think of God as he is holy, he is high and above. Um, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. You know, he is set apart. He is separate. And his glory and majesty is something that cannot be hidden. It shines all over the place. And that's kind of how I would picture like Eden would be like this. The glory of God could be seen for miles and miles and miles around in this perfect and amazing place. And if you just look through scripturally, it's, uh, I, this just was a revelation I had sitting in my office. Um, God just kind of lined up a bunch of stuff for me. But you just look throughout scripture of how many times that God likes to hang out on mountains. And that this symbolism um, that I just kind of walked through is just everywhere. So you think in the Old Testament when I, God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments, that comes on Mount Sinai. Then the city of Jerusalem was built on Mount Zion. Then, then within that, uh, the temple of God is built on yet another kind of mini mountain that's within there, hence why it's always referred to as the Temple Mount. Jesus' most famous sermon literally is called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus showed himself in his full glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. On the night he was betrayed, he was at the Garden of Gethsemane, which is actually on the side of a mountain. Jesus was crucified on Golgotha Hill, and then three days later rose from the grave, and the grave was built into the side of a mountain. And then finally he ascends to heaven from on top of the Mount of Olives. So you just think of that, that continued imagery that's all throughout the Bible. And I think I, to me, that's just a very neat aspect of Scripture. And it, it kind of shows that what God's plan always is. It's like to take, take from what is up and bring it down. As above, so below. And it was, it was Adam's, Adam and Eve's mission. It was what they were charged with to take that glory of Eden and spread it throughout the rest of the world. They weren't just mere gardeners, you know, clipping, clipping leaves here and there, but they were God's representatives. They were made in the very image of God. They were supposed to take part in the family business of the king and reign as part of his royal family. In Genesis 1, 27, 28, this is God's charge to human beings. He said, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And this charge to humanity, this is another thing that goes all throughout the Bible. It's all about spreading the kingdom of God. And it culminates in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, and God commands us that we're to go into all the world and make disciples, spread his kingdom, to spread his ways, his holiness, his glory, his splendor, his love, his grace, his power, and his good news about salvation. And as we've been walking through, the, this, this kingdom is often referred to as the kingdom of light. Uh, 2 Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. And it's our job to help others do the same, to go from darkness into light. That is what Team Light is all about, is getting people from darkness into light. To show people the goodness of God. It's like, again, that mountain metaphor, to bring what is up high down below into the darkest valley, to spread it throughout all of the earth, the glory of God, the holiness of God, the ways of God, to spread it everywhere. And then again, Matthew 5, Jesus says that we are to be the light of the world. And then again, notice this metaphor, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. And Jerusalem was built that way, that we're supposed to be built on all the things of God, his holiness, his ways, his glory, his splendor, his love. And when our life is built on all of that, we can shine like a city on a hilltop that cannot 
be hidden. People cannot help but notice there's something different about you when you build your life on the right things, when you build your life on the things of God, when you shine in the darkest of places. That is what Team Light is all about. This is not a covert mission. This is an overt mission. We're not hiding. We shine bright. We shine unashamedly because we know that our lives are built on the right thing. We know that the only, the only well that really will never run dry is, is Jesus. We know that his light is what gives life, and so we stand unashamed, and we boldly proclaim the gospel to every person on earth. We let God's spirit shine through, through us, and we just light up the world. We even go to the darkest depths of earth, the darkest, most evil places, and we'll shine our light there. We proclaim the gospel, we will set the captives free, and we will bring people into God's glorious light, into his kingdom where they were always meant to be. So just in conclusion here, as I begin to wind down, that's a lot of the scriptural precedent going into that battle of good versus evil and kind of the, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. There's that battle that's going on continually. So the first thing you always need to do is expect opposition. I always thought when I was playing sports, if somebody wasn't guarding you, they weren't guarding you for a reason because they didn't think you're much of a threat. But here's the thing, the devil will come after all of us. Why? Because he sees us as as a threat. He knows that we can wreak damage on that kingdom of darkness, that we can tear it apart. And I also want you to remember that you can fight back against the kingdom of darkness and win. Two things to always believe. Expect the opposition, but also believe you can win. Because you remember that you're on Team Light, and Team Light has far more power than than the kingdom of darkness. They're not playing with the same deck of cards that the powers of light are. There is a very, very, very drastic power difference. See, on Jesus' very first day of ministry, he went toe-to-toe with the devil. He fasted for 40 days, which would take your body to its limits. Um, it's, ba- it's the absolute brink of human wi- uh, weakness there, to not eat anything for 40 days. And then the devil showed up, and they kind of went toe-to-toe, and Jesus very easily kicked the devil to the curb by quoting scripture. That just kind of shows you the massive power difference. Jesus purposely would make himself super, super weak, and then go toe-to-toe with the devil, and then kick his butt. And we can very similarly stand against the powers of darkness and win. Luke 10, 17 through 20, it's Jesus talking here. So... Um, His disciples just went out on a mission. They came back and they were amazed that they realized they could do the same things Jesus did. He said, when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. It's a beautiful verse right there. I like that, the section there says, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. See, when Satan got kicked out of heaven, it wasn't this like long, drawn-out battle that, um, you know, took a real long time. It was just like whipped out there, like just like an asteroid coming, hitting the earth, just whipped out like lightning, like instantly. That's how fast that battle's gone, instant. That's the power dynamic there of just showing how powerful God is. And then again, saying that we can, uh, again, that beautiful imagery that's here, we can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Again, going right back to Genesis, people that are on team God, they get to be part of crushing the serpent's head. We get to be part of winning all the powers of darkness, just crushing them. Nothing will injure you. And then there's a little thing in there, like, you don't, don't get too high on yourself thinking, oh my goodness, even evil spirits of me. It's like, why that happens is because you're registered in heaven. Why? It's because you're on team light. You're not rolling with your own power. You're rolling with God's. Another thing else to remember is that it's not our power that enables us to overcome evil. It's the power of God within us. And so I often like to think when I'm facing something down that I'm actually overqualified for the situation because I have the very spirit that raised Christ from the dead within me. And that's what I'm facing down every situation that I'm looking at with. That extreme, amazing power, that same power that conquered death, our, you know, the, the 
greatest enemy of humanity, death. That same power that conquered it, that lives within me. That's what I'm walking around with. His power, not my power. So I'm not going to rely on my own power, my own strength. I'm going to rely on his because it's far more potent, far more powerful. It's not my name that causes the demons to tremble. It's his. That's why we proclaim his name. That's why we sing his name. Why we're not singing songs to each other here on Sunday morning. We're singing songs about Jesus, the name that is lifted up, the name that is higher than any other name. So there is a battle, and we need to be ready for it. Ephesians 6 talks about we need to put on this armor of God. We need to be armored up and ready to fight this battle. Battle we were born to win, by the way. So Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. This is a final word. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Not in your mighty power, his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness, For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That right there is a master class of how to do spiritual warfare. First things first, you need to know what is true and what is false. And you know that what the the kingdom of darkness is peddling is not true. So step number one is do not believe the lies that they are trying to get you to believe. You need to stand on the truth of God. Second thing is is we need to have the body armor of God's righteousness. We need to live righteous lives. We need to be um, sanctified by God and justified by him, made right by him, and then follow in his ways. That gives far, far less ammo for the devil to work with when you're walking in righteousness. Secondly, you also need to remember the power of the gospel and the peace it brings. That is a free gift of salvation. The devil will often try to make you feel terrible that you know, you've done some bad things, that you've messed up, but salvation is the free gift and it's there for everyone to take. And that's something to be reminded of, that God's, God's love is, is so extravagant that even in your darkest moment, he still loves you. That you can always be brought back to the, the, the kingdom of light that no one is beyond his love. No one is beyond his reach. That's something to always remember so you're not you're not going to be manipulated by the shame that the devil's going to try to bring on you. And it, in addition, this is when I was really learning um, the week before last weekend, is you need to hold up your shield of faith to stop the fiery, fiery arrows of the devil. So the thing that I was really learning is I couldn't, I couldn't go into the realm of unbelief. I couldn't let these thoughts of, oh, this young adult's not going to happen. It's going to be terrible. This is going to be a complete disaster. I couldn't let those thoughts take over. Instead, I said, I'm, gonna, I'm born to win, and I'm going to win. All the powers of darkness can come against us, but God is still going still to win. And in fact, he's going to be embarrassed that he put on so much effort to try to stop this thing, and yet it still happened. And they said, there's going to be a resounding victory this coming week, and people are going to encounter the living God. I had to do that all week long and just continue to hold my faith up and say, I'm not going to go into the depth of despair. I'm not going to go into this mode of unbelief. I'm going to hold my faith strong. And so, and when you do that, then it's repelling all of those those fiery arrows, all those different attacks to try to get you um, to go into that realm of unbelief or to maybe to, yeah, to kind of move away from the things of, things of God or just to give up on that calling that God has on your life. Instead, you need to keep that shield of faith up strong, to not even let those, those thoughts enter your mind. The second they show up, to kick them out and say, uh-uh, I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe that God can make beauty from ashes. He can turn my sorrows into joy, my mourning into dancing. He's literally the king of the comebacks. He can win in every, every situation. He can, uh, he can make all things work, uh, work for good for those that put their trust in him. And then it talks talk about putting salvation as your helmet. I think of that kind of guarding your mind. That I've been saved, I've been redeemed, I've been set free, I've been born again. These are things that you need to guard your head with and your mind that you've been saved. And so again, as the devil's coming with all the different things to try to, to trip you up, you need to go through that. No, I've been, I've been saved. I'm walking in righteousness. I'm walking in God's, 
God's light. I am more than a conqueror. God can do exceedingly and abundantly more than I could ever ask and imagine. To go through all of that in, in your head. And then finally, we, we take out the sword of the Spirit. This is how you go on offense. That's how you play defense. This is how you play offense. You begin to take out the Scripture, the sword of the Spirit, the very Word of God, and you begin to cut the enemy back down to size. So another thing I did learn to do this um, yes, week before last weekend, and I started to quote Scripture quite a bit. And um, I would think of, you know, whatever the enemy intends for evil, God will intend for good. And I, and I would say, you know, resist the enemy and he will flee. Or the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. And I, I would just begin to quote all of that kind of stuff and just begin to put the devil in his place and say, listen, man, I know you're not going to win. Scripture declares it again and again and again, so you might as well stop trying. You might as well give up because you're not going to win. But in whatever situation that you are in, you need to whip out that sword of the Spirit. You need to know your Scripture because if you don't, then you're fighting a battle without a weapon. And sometimes you wonder why you're losing. It's because you're not swinging that sword. I am very thankful for things like kids' ministry that our kids are in right now because to this day, I still remember the scripture taught in there. And I'm glad that my parents, more than anything else, chose to put me in, in church above anything else and that I would get that scripture in me and I've had it for the rest of my life. They chose to make that a priority in my life growing up to, to, fill, me with, to fill me with scripture, to lead with scripture and teach me scripture. And that has given me the ability to repel the attacks of the enemy, to go, to go do damage to the dark, the dark side. I'm very thankful for that. And then the last part, it was also praying in the Spirit at all times. Again, the Holy Spirit within you. He, if you don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit certainly does. And then it says also to be persistent in your prayers. Having a very important, uh, sorry, having a very substantial prayer life is very important if you want to re- repel the ta- attacks of the enemy. And many times people often pray after, you know, the enemy's blown up their life and things have gotten messed up. But I'd actually encourage praying all the time so that when he comes, you're prayed up. You're already ready to go. You've already done the warfare. You moved before they did. And, not, and it's not just prayer over your life. You lift up other believers too because we're a team. The kingdom of light is a team. We're all lifting each other up. The kingdom of darkness is every man for themselves. They do not work very well together as a team. It's kind of a dog-eat-dog world, but the kingdom of light is we lift each other up. We become each other's brothers and sisters. We're each other's brothers and sisters in arms. We know we're in a battle together, and we're going to fight it together. When we watch a brother or sister stumble, we pick them up. We put their eyes back on Jesus. When we see someone struggling, we pray for them. Um, if we see someone that's maybe going astray, then we, we, we say something in a loving way. We bring people back into the kingdom of light. That's our job, to lift one another up. And another verse that kept coming to me, and I just want to end with this one. This is a, this is a fun one. I think this fits into the category of everything we're going through this uh, next, or these past few weeks and the next uh, ones as well. This comes from John 1, verse 5. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. That's a promise that you need to stand on, is that the darkness cannot extinguish the light. Never. No matter how hard they try, they cannot extinguish the light. They will never beat the kingdom of light. The light side will always triumph over the kingdom of darkness. And the big thing with all of this is what side are you going to join? Or what side are you on? See, God's invitation is always open to join the kingdom of light. And he can begin to bring truth to your life. He can begin uh, to set you free from things you didn't think you'd ever be able to conquer. He can give you a brand new identity as you become born again, as you as as he just uh, basically destroys all of your sin, he removes, moves it, removes it from you as far as the east is from the west. And you can walk in a righteousness that you never would have thought possible. You can, you can walk around as a conqueror and with a confidence that you would have never thought possible. The, joining the kingdom of light, joining God's kingdom can radically change your life in ways that are incomparable. So if you've never made that decision, I just encourage you to make that today. We'd love to pray with you at the end. And this is such a monumentous decision that when even just one person makes that decision to join the kingdom of light, all of heaven rejoices. It's a party in heaven every time there's just one person, just one person, because your life is of immeasurable value to God because you're his kid and he wants you back in his kingdom. It has always been God's desire from the beginning to, be, to have a relationship with his children, to have a very intimate family relationship with his children, that he would be your father and, and we would be his children. So I just encourage you, if you've never made that decision, 
It's very easy just to welcome God into your life and say, God, I want to join your kingdom. God, I renounce and I let go of all this darkness that has run my life before, and I want to join this kingdom of light. I want to walk in the light as you are in the light. I want, I want to be on your team. Would you come into my life and help me with that? And God will. So I just want to end in some prayer here, and then uh, we're just going to, well, we can cue some music now, and I'll just begin to pray, and then we'll kind of dismiss. And if you want prayer for any reason at all, maybe you're going through a battle and you just need another Christian to come alongside and do some warfare with you, to pray over you, um, maybe to bolster your confidence, to lift up your spirits. We'd love to do that. Um, if you, yeah, if you, want to, if you want to join Team Lights for the first time, or maybe you've walked away and you're, and you're coming back, we'd love to pray with you. That'd be an amazing privilege. But I'm just going to pray over the congregation here, and then we'll dismiss. God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you how it so well articulates this spiritual battle that's out there. And even though this is some fairly complicated stuff, that you can break it down and help us understand it. And God, I just thank you of how inspirational scripture is as it shows that the kingdom of darkness cannot hold a candle to the kingdom of light. That there is a massive power differential. And God, that can just fill us with confidence that whatever we're going through, whatever the powers of darkness are throwing our way, that we can be reminded that there is an amazing, far more powerful God out there that can roll over the enemy very easily. That same God that cast Satan out of Satan like lightning at the speed of light threw him, threw him off. And you could do that in our situations too. Just at the speed of light, Satan can be removed from a situation. And the demons that follow him, they can just be removed instantly. People can be set free instantly. God, I also just pray that if people are feeling shame right now, that, they've, that they're in a battle, they'd realize that that's normative. That you, you said in this life we're going to have struggles, we're, we're going to have pain, and that there is an enemy out there that is warring against us. And God, I pray that they would actually begin to change the way they look at that and say this is actually, in a strange way, a bit of a privilege because it tells me that the enemy doesn't like me and that he's scared of what I can do for the kingdom of God. And he's trying to stop me, he's trying to slow me down. And so I pray that faith would just begin to arise and say, you know what, I've been born to conquer. I've been born to win. The spirit of God that is within me is more powerful than anything I'll ever face. That same power that conquered the grave is within me. And so I just pray, God, for a supreme supernatural confidence, a supreme supernatural faith would just begin to rise in this congregation. Yeah, we've gone through two years of COVID, all sorts of crazy stuff going on, but guess what? God is bigger, he is greater, he is far more powerful. He can make beauty from our ashes, turn our sorrows into joy, turn our mourning into dancing. He can make all things work together for good. So I just pray that faith would just begin to arise in this congregation, that despite all the different attacks of the enemy, despite how hard he tries, the kingdom of darkness cannot extinguish the light. We can't snuff it out. God will prevail. We know the ending of the book. We know God wins. So we can put our faith in that. So I just pray that people can just begin to believe and that battle between faith and unbelief would begin to shift and that faith would just begin to arise in their soul. And they realize, yes, I can make this. Yes, yes, I can conquer this. Yes, I can change. Yes, this situation can dramatically change in my favor. Yes, my prayers are going to be answered. And people would begin to just walk with faith and that all these attacks, the enemies would just be repelled right from the get-go. They wouldn't even be allowed to enter our mind, to enter our soul. They wouldn't be allowed to enter. Uh, we would just nip things in the bud right away. We would just kick, kick out these attacks. We would recognize them. We would know what's of God and what, what is not of God. And God, we also pray for those that have never yet entered the kingdom of God, that have never made the decision to join the kingdom of light. I just pray in this moment they would just be encouraged to make the best decision that they're ever going to make that they'd realize that there is a power that they've yet to tap into that is going to radically change their life, a power that's going to make them right before God, a power that's going to help them walk in the ways of righteousness, a power that's going to help them conquer uh, all the attacks of the enemy. 
I just pray that even their wildest dreams, you know, could all of a sudden become reality of, you know what, I can actually conquer this addiction. I can walk in a confidence. Lord, I also just pray that you're going to fill us with joy. Dare I say, even like an obnoxious joy in the face of the enemy. That as the attacks come, we can still be so happy in a way that doesn't even make sense because we just know, we just know that our God's going to win. That our God is, is mighty, that he is, he's the Lord strong and mighty. That he always wins. He's never once lost. And so we can retain an amazing joy. Come what may, whatever, whatever the world's throwing at us, we can have an amazing, supernatural, unexplainable, contagious joy. We also pray, God, that as a congregation, we're, that you'd help us do a better job of fighting for one another, for praying for one another, lifting each other up in, up in prayer. I pray you'd also convict us to get the, more of the word within us as well. We don't want to be fighting battles without a sword. And God, I just pray you're going to be with us as we leave today. Maybe we're leaving with a bit of an increased awareness of the battles that we're facing. And I just pray that maybe even certain situations people are going through are just going to begin to make sense. They realize, oh, that's the enemy coming after me. People are going to leave here just better equipped that this message is going to find a place down within their soul and it's going to stick and it's going to stay. They're going to know that they can fight and that they can win. They're going to remember even how to fight. Because God, we want to be that church you've always called us to be, that church that the gates of hell will not prevail against, the church that is on offense, not on defense, the church that is whittling away at, at the powers of darkness here in the Lakeland region and even takes massive territory and sends the enemy into spirals of defeat and despair. That's the church we want to be. We want to be a church that spreads light even to the most darkest places around us. We want to be a church that's that city on a hill, shining its light, that people would realize there's something different about this church, there's something different about this congregation, that they have something that they don't, and that they'd recognize that the help that they need can be found, with, can be found here. That help that they need can be found with a relationship with Jesus. And that we'd see many in the Lakeland region come to you. We'd see that kingdom of light expand and grow. The army of the Lord expand and grow here in the Lakeland region. Because it is our intention, no matter how much the devil tries to stop us, to take this Lakeland region for Jesus. It's our intention to see a massive move of God here in this Lakeland region, despite everything the enemy will throw at us. We will pursue this and pursue this no matter how long it's delayed. Because we believe in a God that wins. We believe in a God that answers prayer. We believe in a God that can do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask and imagine. And that's who we're going to stand on this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.